0: As a child uh, growing up in, uh, in a small town in southwest Michigan uh, you know it, it was one of those typical small towns which we didn't have much we had a you know the, the four-corner stop uh, that one street light in town you know we didn't get our first McDonald's until uh, you know I graduated high school a very small town but uh, one of the things we did have that a lot of other towns didn't have is we had our own local speedway and I remember every summer You know, our family would go on Friday nights going to the Speedway, you know, I can still feel that hot asphalt, uh, you know, as the cars are going around, racing, and we always had a lot of fun. You know, we were always more interested in who's getting in wrecks than who actually won the race, Uh, but occasionally, you know, the Speedway would put on different events. Uh, Sometimes they would race school buses, you know, to draw people in, and sometimes they would bring in the monster trucks. And as a child, you know, I loved Bigfoot. You know, he was my favorite monster truck, that blue truck. Uh, you know, I had a poster on my wall. I had the power wheels driving through the neighborhood, you know, running over things in it. You know, I loved that. Uh, about that. Well, in 1992, at this particular speedway, they were holding a monster truck event. And uh, on that day, uh, one of the drivers, as he was uh, attempting to jump over a set of cars he lost control of his truck and his truck started to go towards the grandstand and it actually went up into the grandstand and injured 14 individuals but even worse a 6-year-old boy lost his life because of that and of course the driver he didn't wake up in that morning and you know plan to do that whether it was a mechanical issue or he just lost control we don't know but the the, the actions of this one man Changed the lives of so many individuals that day. So many individuals' lives were changed that day. And our actions as well uh, can influence others positively and negatively, whether we know it or not. And what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look in Acts chapter 8. And we're going to notice uh, these three uh, individuals within Acts chapter 8 who have an influence... Over a crowd of people. They, they're going to have an influence for the better or for the worse. And we're going to see just how they influence the crowd. So if you've got your copy of God's word in front of you, let's look in Acts chapter 8 starting in verse 1. And we're going to see how Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul, how he influenced the crowd. Starting in verse 1 it reads, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. See, after, after the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, who was overseen by Saul, this great persecution against the church in Jerusalem began, we're told here in Acts chapter 8. And the Christians were scattered except for the apostles. Now, this was prophesied by Jesus earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he said to them that... They were going to be his witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the whole world. It was going to start in Jerusalem and it was going to spread, he says. And that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 8. As Paul begins ravaging the church, the Christians are dispersing. Uh, They're being persecuted and so they're dispersing throughout, throughout the known world. Saul ravaged the church, it says. This is a term uh, that's used to describe uh, a wild animal tearing up its prey. Right? There's no mercy. It's tearing up its prey. And we also read that Paul was an insolent man, a violent aggressor. He was casting men and women into prison. He was putting some to death. He was forcing them to blaspheme. And as we study uh, this, the, the early church, the church of the New Testament, the first century church, you know, we probably wouldn't. Um, we probably wouldn't look any less of them if we if we saw their lives and we said, wow, you know, they, they just lost everything. They just learned what it meant to follow Jesus. But verse four tells us the result of this persecution that was happening as they went and preached the word. Paul, he became a missionary before he became a missionary. Right? He, he was indirectly sending out Christians in every direction, preaching the gospel, teaching others about Jesus Christ. And we noticed that in this account, that it wasn't a preacher or elders of a congregation who were evangelizing and preaching, but it was the church. It was the individuals. Again, not necessarily the leaders, but it was the church. The apostles stayed here. Everyone else was scattering. If we want to grow, if we want to grow the local congregation... It's going to take each and every one of us. We all have to take ownership in that evangelism process. And when persecution arose, the church grew, we see. We see that Saul influenced, again, uh, indirectly he influenced the church as it began to expand and grow. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but in Second Samuel chapter 15, uh, we, we spoke on Absalom. I remember he was one of David's sons who uh, was, was out of David's life for about five years. And he comes back and he starts to have this plan, this conspiracy to overthrow David's kingdom. You remember he would come to the gate early in the morning and he would talk to the people as they came into the city. And he would tell them that, hey, you know, if only you would just, if only if I were in charge, things would be different. If, if I was in charge, I would help you get the judgment that you would want. You know, I can do this job a lot better. And we read that Absalom influenced these individuals. The Bible says that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And one by one, they were leaving David's camp and coming over to Absalom's side. And his conspiracy grew, and it grew, and it grew. And David was feeling surrounded, he was feeling helpless, and he had to do the only thing he could do was run uh, and escape and get out, of, get out of dodge before it was too late. But David and his men, knowing that persecution was imminent, again, they fled, but they regrouped. We, we read later that they regrouped, they, they put together a plan, they strategized, and eventually they defeat Absalom and his men. 20,000 men who, who had came to Absalom's side were killed in this battle by David's army. But we, but we, we notice that David excelled in persecution. Right When persecution arises. Will you and I be discouraged and quit? Or will we be like David? Will we be like the early church? Who will regroup and fight the good fight of faith? The, that will contend earnestly for the faith. When everyone else scatters. Are we going to proclaim Jesus? Are we going to teach uh, Jesus you know it, it's often said uh, people will often say you know um, when things are going bad they'll say you know look what's coming into the world look, look what's happening to the world All right but that's not what these early Christians said instead they said look who has come into the world and they pointed everyone to Jesus and the gospel and that's a great lesson for us is can we follow the example of the early church? When Saul was persecuting the church, they grew stronger. And we see that influence that Saul had. There's another man within Acts chapter 8 who had an influence as well. This is a man by the name of Simon. Simon the sorcerer. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 in Acts chapter 8. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. See, see we have this man by the name of, of Simon. We know him better as Simon the Sorcerer. He's a man that's in, this, in Samaria, he's practicing magic, he's practicing sorcery, and because of that, people call him the, the great power of God. Right? They are influenced by him. Um, some of the early uh, writers believe that he had started his own religious movement, that he might have thought that he was the forerunner of the Christ, or that he was the Christ himself. But anyways, uh, he astonished the people. He astonished them. We're told, and the people gave attention to him. You know, a sorcerer in that day would um, would claim to have supernatural powers. Now, when we talk about magic today, we, you know, we we think of card tricks. You know, we think of pulling a bunny out of a hat. But magic back then was a very serious family business. Uh, it was guarded by a chosen few. Children were forced to bear family secrets. I was reading. Uh, specifically about this, that you know, parents uh, who are magicians, who are sorcerers, they would have their children walk around with these giant stones under their arms for hours and hours in time. And what they were doing is they were manipulating uh, their, their bodies so that they were able to hide things uh, under their arms. Right? This was a serious business that these men were in uh, to deceive others. And they would claim to have the ability to predict the future, you know, summon evil spirits, to cast spells. But this man, Simon the Sorcerer, he knew that what he was doing was nothing compared to what Peter and John possessed. Because later on in the book of Acts, he's going to ask to, to buy this power. He's going to ask that, uh, to buy the power from them. However, uh, this influence that Simon the Sorcerer had on them, again, was from smallest to greatest, And we see this influence that Simon had over the group in Samaria. And we can relate that today because there are, uh, as the Bible puts it, false teachers who can influence a crowd. They can influence congregations. The Bible tells us in, in, in Matthew 7.15 that they will be disguised as sheep. They will come in unannounced. They will cr- creep in unannounced. They will tip, tickle the ear, Paul says in 2 Timothy two. Or 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. And they're going to draw many away from the faith. And Simon was deceptive, right? Simon was a, a deceptive sorcerer who claimed to be someone great. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, if this is something around here or not, but the, um, you, know, you go into the big city and there might be someone with a sign out by the road and the sign will say something to the effect of, you know, going out of business. And and I remember going in Michigan and seeing this sign on the busy street in Grand Rapids, and a month later, uh, that same sign would be there. Two, three, four months later, that same sign would be there. That store going out of business? I don't know. I, I think it's still in business. But what they are doing is they're using you know deceptive sales tactics. It was like this sign that was placed in a New York City business It said, "Don't be fooled by imitators who claim to be going out of business." We have been going out of business longer than anyone on this block. right? Uh, they're using these deceptive tactics to get people to come into their stores, thinking that uh, there's going to be these great sales because things are coming out of business. They're trying to influence a crowd of people to, to purchase their products. Just like Simon is trying to influence a crowd of people. And crowds can be easily deceived. But are we going to put stock in man rather than God's word? See, because... All spiritual claims, all spiritual claims must be validated by Scripture. Look in Acts chapter 17, if you would, just for a quick second. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's coming into Thessalonica, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's customs, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. We see that Paul stays three weeks in Thessalonica. He's going to the synagogue. And what is he doing? He's not giving opinions He's not giving his thoughts on how things worked, but he is putting the scriptures in front of them. He is putting it in front of them. He's reasoning in front of them. He's explaining what these scriptures mean, uh, the Old Testament scriptures it would have been. And he's giving the evidence. No deception here. He, he's, he's putting the, the, the scrolls in front of them. He's opening it and he's placing it before them. That's exactly what we need to do as well. Uh, we, we don't want to be deceptive uh, like, like Philip uh, to the Samaritans, or excuse me, uh, Simon the sorcerer to the Samaritans. We, we, in any spiritual claim, we want to have a book, a chapter, and verse to back up our claims And anything that is spiritual. Simon had a great influence on these individuals, but we have to be careful because we can fall into that same trap as well. The last person I want you to notice in in this account in Acts chapter 8 is a man by the name of Philip. We're going to see in in verses 5 through 8, also in Acts chapter 8, that it talks about Philip. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. And then skip on down to verse 12. But when they believed Philip, was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, He continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. We see here, Philip has a great influence on a crowd of individuals. Now this is not Philip the Apostle, but this is Philip the Evangelist. We first meet him in Acts chapter 6. He's one of the seven chosen, along with Stephen and Philip, uh, to help uh, with the needs of the widows in the church in Jerusalem. And he goes into Samaria... And he is proclaiming uh, the gospel. He's dismissing unclean spirits. He's healing the paralyzed and the lame. And as a result, the Samaritans, and Simon the sorcerer included, believed and were baptized, the scriptures say. So this Philip, this one man, we're told he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, uh, the church, and the name of Jesus Christ. And he converted a crowd. Uh, Notice uh, that his preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ resulted in their being baptized. See, we cannot preach and we cannot teach about Jesus without preaching about the kingdom of God, about the name of Christ and baptism. See, many today will say, you know, all you have to do is preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus to people. You know, stop with that baptism um, uh, don't worry about that. Just preach Jesus to them. And I love the story that, that a preacher gave uh, that I heard once. He said that he was talking to a man who was just like that. He, he came up to him one day after services and said, you just need to lay off on the baptism uh, preaching and just preach about Jesus. He said that, you know, if, I bet you if you were to take your Bible, you know, close it and drop it nine times out of ten, it's going to open to Acts chapter two. Because you're always preaching Acts 2.38. That's your go-to verse. You're always preaching that. But here in Acts chapter 8, we have a, a divine inspired definition of preaching Jesus. Preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching the name of Jesus. And as a result, the people concluded that they needed to be baptized. So the Samaritans, if you know anything about the Samaritans... They followed Moses. They they followed the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, The rest of it, they they did not. Uh, They didn't uh, didn't follow the the, the Psalms or the the, the prophets. But they they believed um, in the Pentateuch and the first five books. But when they heard the preaching of Philip... They were astonished. They, they heard about the, the, the name of Jesus, about the kingdom of God, and they were baptized. See, they were taught that salvation is in Christ alone. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me but through the Father. Acts 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. They were taught that they had to come to Jesus Christ and that meant putting on Christ and baptism. To be clothed in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who have been baptized have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know, um, you know it was kind of a thing that you know back in the day, uh, if you were a, a parent or a grandparent and you ran into a friend in a, in a store... You know, you'd pull out your wallet and you would have one of those plastic, you know, picture holders and all your children and grandchildren would be in there and you'd love showing them off, right? You'd love showing those pictures off to your friends. Uh, you know, we don't really do that as much today because people carry around smartphones and you can just show your friends that way. But that's what they would do. We would show pictures in our wallets of our, of our grandchildren and our children. Well, that's the same thing uh, for, for the New Testament Christian, Right, when we want to show people the birth of the church, we're going to go to Acts 2. We're proud to go to Acts 2. We want to study Acts 2. We want to preach Acts 2, teach Acts 2, show people where the, the church was born and how to become a member of that church. We have the opportunity to influence others, just like Philip did to this crowd in Samaria. See, Christians must proclaim Christ. And again, that involves teaching about baptism. We can't stop at hearing, believing, con- uh, repenting, confessing. That's where the world wants to stop at. But we know that from these scriptures that, that Paul says that when you, or, uh, excuse me, that Luke says that when uh, Jesus was preached, when, when the kingdom of God was preached, they understood that that resulted in being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. You know, crowds can be intimidating. They can be intimidating, but they can also be influenced. And as we've seen in these three accounts here this evening, it only takes one individual. It takes one individual. And so we want to be reminded that when persecution arises, are we going to follow the crowd? Or are we going to influence the crowd for better? Are we going to put our faith in one man, a man who might have a huge following uh, that's popular, or are we going to stick to the Scriptures? Are we going to examine the Scriptures and see what they say? And are we preaching the whole Gospel of Christ? Again, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and baptism. Right? Because that's, that's what the Scriptures say. Uh, that that when, um, when Philip preached to the, the Samaritans, they understood that preaching Jesus meant to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Because they needed to contact the blood of Jesus. The soul cleansing blood of Jesus. And that's where we do that is in baptism. So this evening, the question I leave with you is, will you influence a crowd? Will you influence a crowd for better or will you let the crowd influence you? This evening, if you're here with us and you're not a Christian, you have not had the opportunity to put our Lord and Savior, on in baptism, we would love the opportunity to do that for you. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 16:16, 16, 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Uh, if, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, we implore you to not wait any longer, uh, because we are not promised tomorrow. We, we don't know if tomorrow will come, and Christ may come tomorrow or the next day or the next We implore you, if you have not had the opportunity to do that, that you do that today. But if you are a Christian and you need the prayers of this congregation, or you're struggling, if you need to ask for forgiveness, again, this is the best time to do it, because we're in front of all our brothers and sisters in Christ here this evening. If we can help you in any way, as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.